Revolution means that the abuses and excesses of the violent, reactionary, and disruptive minority has to be crushed so that the majority interests can prevail. You must be clear here, not confused. I'm a socialist. There's a lot of America that belongs to me yet. You understand? You stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches. There's no progress. We said we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight with socialism. We're revolutionaries and we fight for principles and there is no compromise. Anytime you make an analysis of an oppressed people in any aspect of their life and you leave out the enemy, you will never come to a correct analysis. What you West, what you Europeans did, you just took it. We got to catch up with you. The American capitalist system does not lie some of the time. It lies all of the time. I actually think it's much more about the how and the way that we are coming together and how we are how we interpret that what. Good morning. Sunday morning. Nobody I know who's running for office talks about defunding the police. These aren't leaders. These are puppets and clowns. We're going to fight their reaction with all of those people to get together and have an international revolution. Right on. Right on. Right on. America always says they are democratic. Lies! That is a lie! They have never been democratic with native people. They have never been democratic with Indians. They have never been democratic with Hawaiians. We are not On the West Coast, where 200 inches of rain falls every year, there is drought. And where is the highest suicides and violence and murder of women? In those forest areas. Sailors people know the story of the double-headed serpent. We know the story of the split mind. We know that if you're disconnected from the earth, you will be disconnected from each other, you will dis be disconnected from creation, and then you'll violate creation. Quand on a une arme qui peut cracher le feu et la mort, et que l'on peut recevoir des ordres en se mettant en garde à vous devant un drapeau. What's going on? How is everybody this evening? Mikey, good to see you again. Hey, always, hey, uh, good to be always here. Miss you, always miss your, your joyful presence. Oh. You know? Regardless of like, yeah, regardless of like how you know, like down and shitty, you know, uh, depressed I may be sometimes. Well, yeah, not not depressed, but like, you know, sometimes I'm just like you know, down in the dumps, and I hear Mikey's voice, and it's like, hey, yo, if Mikey can sound that joyful, what is my problem? You know. So, anyways, good. It's good yeah, I'm, I'm generally a happy guy, and and always smiling. Unfortunately, even when I'm like in tension, um, uh, which is a thing that, that I think I need to work on because it's hard for people to take me seriously when I'm mad or upset. <laughs> yeah, I like I, I can't even imagine you mad. To be perfectly honest, um, it would be like um, like like seeing Ted Lasso mad, you know, or like Mister Rogers. You, you, people like Mister Rogers. You have a whole lot of respect for the man. But I couldn't imagine seeing him mad, and I just really, you know, have a hard time picturing him mad. That's all. Anyway, so yeah, I'll send you, you some of, some of my matter speeches. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think you have the the proper disposition to you know be as fierce and forceful an advocate uh, for uh, for clean water um, on the Hawaiian Islands as you are. Uh, yeah, you, you've you've definitely got the right uh, the right minerals for it. Me, on the other hand, I'm a grouch. You know, I'm, I am not the proper advocate for, for a lot of these things. 
Uh, and unfortunately, I get uh, easily distracted and very pissed off by ancillary side issues, which is what brings us to the topic at hand tonight, which is <sighs> the fucking culture war. The, the, okay, I, 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 uh, I asked you to be here tonight, partially because I, I always take your point of view seriously, and also because I feel like you can talk me down from the ledge on, on a few key issues. And I asked Kieran to be here tonight because I, I just enjoy fucking torturing Kieran. Um, but I, I think that where it comes to this culture war shit, a lot of socialists, and especially the communists, you know, the Marxist-Leninists, we don't like talking about this stuff because we don't want to step on people's toes. We don't want to make people feel invalidated. And it also feels like it's the domain of the right. Like the right raises these issues because it's easy. It's cheap political theater. It's an easy victory to score. But I think there, it's a little bit deeper than that. <laughs> like we, we always dismiss it, but then the, the problem becomes, okay, so how do you define the culture war? Like what, what issues uh, in, in, on, upon what ground do we find ourselves waging a culture war? I think oftentimes we take issues that we would just rather not talk about, uh, not because they aren't worth discussing. All of them are. If it's worth defending, then of course it's worth discussing. I think oftentimes we don't know how to talk about these issues, and we don't like the idea of having to sell people on what's meaningful or important to us. And I also think that a lot of times people don't have the requisite amount of knowledge to really speak at length on a lot of these issues. I'm thinking, for example, uh, who was it? Oh yeah, it was that gun girl, uh, Kate Manella or whatever her name is, that was going around a college campus and was talking to some young people about socialism. Uh, sorry if you're going to, you're going to be hearing like kids noise upstairs in the background because I just sat the kids down for dinner. Um, I made them like grilled cheese and some, you know, baby carrots and some other vegetables, which they really love. Uh, so I guess like they're enjoying themselves upstairs. Anyway, uh, so sorry, sorry about any background noise. But anyway, yeah. So Kate Manel was walking around um, on college campus and asking people their thoughts about socialism. And to people's credit, I mean, they did engage with her and spoke to her about, well, no, like. You know, we, we do believe that workers should own the means of production. We believe in having universal health care and, you know, eliminating student loan debt. You know, all, all of these, these, I think, like fairly bog standard issues. But then she would ask them questions like, well, I see you have a laptop. Under socialism, there's no private property. So you would have to give up your laptop. And then the response was what made my heart sink. A lot of them were like, well, you know, like we don't have to necessarily own laptops. Like we can always, you know, like borrow them and share them. And it's like, oh, God, your heart's in the right place, but you just don't know how to talk about this issue. And I think I think a lot of times um, people get flustered and they get trapped on these issues because they don't re like they don't know as much as they think they do. They feel very righteous in taking a progressive side and being inclusive, which is good. Like you should always want to be inclusive. You should always want to reduce marginalization, reduce harm, help make people feel validated and welcomed. At the same time, if you're going to hold yourself out as somebody who can speak authoritatively on an issue, when I say authoritatively, I mean to the extent that 
you would demean somebody else or look down on somebody else for not having the same viewpoint as you, then you have to be able to defend it verbally. Like you have to be able to have a conversation about it. So I think what many people define as culture war bullshit, really what it boils down to is there are issues of political import that they don't have the patience or the knowledge to defend at length, or at least to advocate for at length. And the problem is, if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to either advocate for or defend these issues that are of political importance to you, that cut right to the heart of your principles, then do you really have principles or do you just have things that you like? You know, are you, are you uh, an advocate or are you just a fan? And I feel like a lot of people are, are sort of like fair weather fans for certain kinds of politics. Now, we, we had this like period in the 2010s, like mid-2010s, like 2000, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, et cetera, where people would say things like, I shouldn't have to debate my own existence, which in a just world, no, you absolutely should not have to debate your own existence. It's exhausting to talk about these issues with people that are um, – who are paid to not get the point. Yeah, it absolutely is exhausting. Google is free. Yes, it is. Problem with that is that it's not about the person who is approaching you on this issue to ask you to defend it. It's about the people who are observing the interaction, people who are observing the conversation. You don't have to convince anybody of anything if they're even asking you questions in bad faith. But the people who are watching the interaction, who could stand to learn something from the interaction, if, again, you're going to hold yourself out as somebody who is politically active and these issues are important to you, then no, you don't just get to shortcut the conversation, not just for that person, but for everybody watching and be like, Google is free. Because here's the other problem. When you actually search Google for anything, not only is, going to, is Google going to return to you what it thinks you want to see, Google also very heavily tilts its search results so that it provides to you what it believes are approved messages and information. Just try to Google, for example, I don't know, China's in Jiang. Try to Google, um, I don't know. Tiananmen try, try, Square. Try, yeah, 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 yeah. Tia, Google Tiananmen Square. Uh, you know, Google fucking... Google, um, Google socialism. <laughs> I was going to say, Google you know, British abolition, like British slavery abolition. It's going to give you what it believes are the mainstream and acceptable responses and not the ones that ought to really disturb and motivate you. And, and then on the third front, it's like, yeah, it, it, you are tired. You are exhausted. It sucks that you have to keep recapitulating the same issues over and over and over and over. But that's what you fucking signed up for, right? Like people, you are going to have the same conversations repeatedly. It is going to feel like slamming your head into a brick wall at the very same time. Are, if you are, I don't know, debating somebody like a James Lindsay or something like that, which I don't ever recommend that you do. But if you were, you're never going to change his mind on anything. Like, he's paid to not have his mind changed. He, Like, his whole bit is to be an insufferable, smug asshole who's wrong all of the time. And for some reason, he has quite a fan base for that. However, people who are watching you in that interaction might think, huh, never thought about it that way before. Maybe I should do some investigating. You never know how you affect people. Like, Kieran, for example, who is sitting right here in the speaker's roster with me, I have said to Kieran several times that 
a an interaction that we had in a group chat was ultimately what made me feel comfortable signing up to register with the Communist Party of Canada. And it was a complete cultural issue or whatever. You could probably see it was like a poll or a cultural war issue. The, the Communist Party of Canada glowingly mentioned a man by the name of Amor de Cosmos. And Amor de Cosmos was uh, a labor advocate, um, somebody who was like widely celebrated uh, in, in British Columbian history. He was like a philosopher. He was an author. He was a journalist. And he was the, the second premier of British Columbia. And he also fucking hated Chinese people. I mean, this dude was a racist racist. Like he, I don't know what it was that Chinese people ever did to him. But the, the dude was just a complete piece of shit. And uh, I happened to see that his name was on the Communist Party of Canada's website. Kieran runs us up the flagpole. I noticed, and she didn't even say anything to me. I noticed weeks later that his name is no longer there. I was like, huh. Kieran, did you, because she was the only person from the party who, you know, who would think to do that. So, uh, you know, you, you just never, you never really know how your day-to-day interactions or how you respond to any of these culture war issues can affect somebody. I've had people write to me, emails, DMs, even messages on Signal saying like, hey, you know, you really helped open my eyes on the matter of communism imperialism etc the fact that you don't apologize for your points of view that you challenge people you stick to your guns it really helped me challenge myself to learn a little bit more and now i feel like i'm you know i I, i'm i'm heading down the path of becoming a communist myself i'm like wow that feels good i'm not going to take responsibility for it but it's like that's something that i wasn't expecting because i i would think if i'm just getting into the you know rolling around in the slop with the pigs and arguing with, you know, a bunch of, like, liberal airheads or right-wing fascists that I'm just wasting my time. But you never know how people who are watching that interaction might take that interaction and then do something with it. So I think it is really important for us to engage in these, quote-unquote, culture war issues, because if we're not, then we're leaving, we're basically abdicating what it is that is important to people and that is actually meaningful to people and their entry into the politics of materialism you're you're advocating it to those right-wing reactionaries and liberal airheads while at the same time trying to say hey here's all of these other issues that are super important that we should be talking about like the earth is on fire you know it's over 100 degrees in texas it is well over 100 110 or 100 20 degrees in South Asia and like various parts of South, parts Asia. Of South Asia. You stealing my talking points, Q. You're no, stealing no, no, my no, talking no, no, no. I'm just, no, it's not just, but it's not <laughs> just you. I've had this conversation with though. Like yeah, I've yeah. had this conversation with a few people and it's like, there's the issues of climate, there's yeah. warfare, there's runaway inflation, the cost of living, rent going up, the unavailability of housing, people being on waiting lists for eight years, all that's, and they are important. It's just it's flood. It's flooding in Yellowstone Park, and it's snowing in New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but at the at the same time, there a lot of people, I think, glom onto these culture war issues, quote unquote, because all of these other issues that are of the utmost importance seem almost impossible to overcome. 
Yeah. So they put it on the back burner to focus on stuff that they can actually engage with and possibly do something about, feel like they score a personal victory on. And unfortunately, the circular, like, the circular nature of it is never going to change because it's always fought between the people who were the least well-equipped to put an end, like, to whether it's, like, settling the issue or coming to some sort of a consensus and then moving on to the important things, the people who are, I think, gassing those issues up the most have no interest in actually addressing these issues of the utmost importance, and that's why it continues to stay there. And I think it, I think it is the responsibility of principled communists to engage in these issues, lay down a foundation for how it is that we can actually, uh, if not get along, then at least agree to put aside hostilities and find some way to compromise that works for everyone and address these urgent issues. You, you know what I well, mean? Well, the thing is that um, there is serious money to be made on both sides of this issue. There is serious money like YouTubers, you know, Twitch streamers, books are being written on both sides on people who are, you know, the Matt Walsh capacity of like, you know, and, and, and worse even um, you are, who are making, who are literally making writing and selling books and seminars and, and entire brands are built around, uh, you know, their perspective where a lot of it tends to kind of uh, have this full around the you know trans people issue and then like so there's that one side and then there's the other side which tends to have less like uh political power but there's still brands that are like youtubers that are like whose careers are built on a particular narrative and who again are their entire like role in life seems to be you know just call outs call out call out call out and 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 i think that you know when people's livelihood is tied to a particular thing, you're never going to get them to really change because it makes money, it, you know, and now you have an audience. One of the other things is when you start going doing stuff online, you start building an audience and then eventually you have to pander to that audience because if you don't, that audience will turn on you and they will either go to somebody else or worse, you know, somehow try to sabotage your brand or your platform. And this is a problem. And it's, you know, when you start relying on this audience for whatever you know, subscriptions or whatever it is that they're giving you money or ad, even ad revenue, then a lot of people end up get digging like their heels deeper. And, you know, instead of saying, okay, maybe there's something I need to learn. Maybe I can meet people halfway. Maybe there's something I need to change. And then I can actually have a good faith conversation with somebody who's supposedly on the other side of this issue. Everybody just digs in, you know, digs their heels in. And then there's no real conversation happening. Like, for example, um, was it yesterday or this morning? I don't know. Lost track of time. Um, what's this guy, the, the, the guy who played Dwight Schrute in the office, uh, Ryan and Ryan, whatever. Yeah, that guy, I think it was him. And he like tweeted something like, oh, you're not allowed to say nursing breastfeeding mother or something. You have to now say chest feeding parent. And so like, who the fuck is this guy? Why is he making a statement like this? Why, how, how does it involve him in wasn't any way? The same, wasn't this the same? Because he's, if I'm not mistaken, he's um, of the Baha'i faith, isn't he? I have no idea. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure Rain Wilson. Yes, Rain, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty like, sure Rain Wilson is, uh, is Baha'i. And I remember he wrote an article a few years ago in uh, the Huffington Post um about you know respecting his uh faith and you know like having mutual respect um for you know people's uh philosophical and religious beliefs so it's kind of weird to me that uh you know homeboy when it involves something that is interesting to him and uh important to his 
sense of identity that he wants other people to offer compassion and understanding for what his faith is because it, it is you know it's, it's a minority faith it's not a very well-known faith and at the same time you know he's gonna turn around a few years later and be like oh so we, we gotta call it chest feeding now like, well like, i mean are you 12 the, the thing is first of all i i don't know maybe people's experiences are, are you different, watching dishes but... over there no i'm making tea um okay. <laughs> so i mean i'm th- i'm saying that like i don't know about everybody's experiences um, I don't know a lot of people who are like who are like being told, no, you have to use these words, otherwise we will shoot you in the head. Like that is not happening. That is a lot of how I'll this gets it. presented. No, fuck it. Listen, get the pronouns right, or I'm gonna triple tap you. All right. Okay. I mean, at most, somebody went, might like I don't know, whatever, quote tweet you or something. Oh my god, how end yeah. the world, big fucking deal. Okay, so you made a mistake or whatever, or if you don't want to use a certain word, fine, don't use it. Okay, but most a certain segment of people will hate you. Who cares? Your material life doesn't get affected. And at the same time, if you do use a word like chest feeding instead of breastfeeding, what happens? Nothing changes. Everything stays the same. You just use slightly different words. I mean, like, I don't understand why is that bad? Like, you know, there used to be where we used to use words for black people that we would never use today. People used to use words that were like common, uh, commonly used not just the bad word, but like, you know, or for other kinds of groups of people, um, you know, people used to call people colored people like people. You know what I mean? Like there, there were other words that were changed over society over like decades. And like all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, you have to use the same words you've always used. You cannot use different words. Words must stay static forever. Like that is called a dead language when a language is not changing. And then people are like, oh, that's a made up word. All words are made up, man. All words are always made up. That's what words are. They're made up. Okay. Yeah, so well, it's fine. Say, well, the, the one issue you have with that is that, uh, I mean, that's all well and good for, for people. How does who, it change anything if somebody says I'm chest feeding this baby versus I'm breastfeeding? What changes in reality? Because the people who are used to saying breastfeeding, it just sounds weird. Yeah. Like, so that and, doesn't and change reality. Yeah, and they're going to be like, I, I'm just not going to do that, right? So what do you what do you do with people like that? Like, they're just like, no, I'm not, I'm not changing the way I... I'm so don't, like, don't use it. Fine. Use breastfeeding. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, does it yeah. stop, like, uh, nipple guards from being sold? Does it stop the milk from flowing? Like, what what actually changes in material fucking reality? That's my point. Like, if that if, if it doesn't, then the rest of it is, to me, is just icing on the cake. And if it if it, like, includes more people or if it's less, like, insulting to a lot of people to who have been, you know, marginalized, then why the fuck not, man? What's the big deal? Why you have like why like I, I don't understand. And on the other side, yeah, there are people who tend to get a little like insane about that too, where it's like every single thing has like you cannot use like any pronouns or you cannot use any of these certain things or like yes, it can get a little it can get a little weird. I get it, but that's a very very small minority. And to make that into like some kind of like that's it. Those are the kind of people. Those are the only kind of people that exist. I don't think so. I think what we're talking about is like a changing like paradigm of language, which has happened forever in every culture. And people are just like freaked out about it because it's like online right now. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Go ahead, Mikey. Oh yeah. And I I think like uh, for the people who are kind of like super obsessed with just like how we use language and why that's like the primary contradiction is like, Oh, if we just talk, talk different everybody will be free um i think there's like so i agree with karen that there's like a it's a very small extremely online uh minority right that that does that but i do think that there are some liberal tendencies like that that get picked up by actual you know working class people who need to be moved and organized right um and i think it's just like 
I don't understand why people of the left don't see that as in just the same approach we would take with anyone with a reactionary tendency, right? Um, as opposed to a radical liberal tendency, which is just you you uh, affirm their feelings without giving ground, and then you pivot. <laughs> you 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 recenter where the conversation needs to be, right? The actual you know uh, primary contradictions, like it's like oh yeah, you know it's like uh, uh, all types of people beyond women can can breastfeed, right, or chest feed, as it were, um, but. Also, you know what's you know what's terrible is the baby formula crisis. What's that about, right? Yeah. You know, like and, and and I think I think the people who can, who we just decide we can move with and build with are the people you know who care just as much about the baby formula thing or care more about the baby formula thing than yes the other shit that's just talk. It's just I'll fucking yeah. It's just like here's, it's here's, just, yeah. It's literally just well, talk. To take a okay to uh, and I, I want to make sure that we um we get to be and any other callers too because I. We definitely want to hear your points of view on this. Like, we're not here to uh, just like bat the topic around for the three of us for ninety minutes. We definitely want to make sure that we're we're um, hearing from our audience as well. So, be we'll get to you in a second. Uh, and also for anybody else that's listening right now, put yourself in the caller queue. I am asking nicely. I'm not going to ask so nicely the, the next time around. I'm going to start bullying people. All right. Um, but to to follow up on something that Karen said, um, people did have. You know, people did have different ways of referring to black people previously, right? Negro, colored people, and so on. But I remember there was an issue that uh, took place in the 80s and 90s where <sighs> there was this huge confrontation and confusion over whether to call black people black people or African Americans. And it still causes a little bit of confusion, although, like, you, there's a lot less people calling anybody African American now. And the problem with that is nobody asks anybody about whether they want to be called African-Americans. That was a political project uh, that was spearheaded by Jesse Jackson during his 1984 presidential campaign. So when he, when he said that, you know, we are African-American, like did he go around talking to everyday black people and say, hey, would you, how, do you, how do you feel about being called? Would you not want to be called African-American? Uh, that, that was, so that, then that became like everybody had to adjust the new nomenclature, even though regular black folk had nothing to do with that and many people were just like i don't what do you fucking mean african-american i'm black like, i don't know what that's supposed to be so i think i think where it comes to a lot of this stuff frankly it's two things at least from my observation one it's people who maybe like spoke to a friend in a marginalized community and they say oh i'd like to have this addressed have myself addressed this way or i'd like to have this particular, I don't know, okay, breastfeeding addressed as, I don't think anybody ever said breastfeeding is just as, just as chest feeding. Or I, I don't think that many, like I, I don't know any trans woman, for example, that when Joe Biden talks about uh, a woman's right to choose, I took umbrage with it. I, I, but I did see a lot of cisgender people saying, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. It, when you say women, I mean, are there not trans people who also are capable of giving birth. And it's, it's like, God, nobody, nobody fucking asked you. Why are we doing this? So I, I, I think there's that, there's that, like people who are way overzealous about transgressions in language that don't even have a personal stake in it, but are essentially like being hectoring scolds. And on the other side, there are people like Rain Wilson, the way that you described, Karen, who are, who like use this, this hyperbolic stuff. Like, ugh, okay, well, Sorry for assuming your gender. It's like, it's like don't, nobody, nobody fucking says that. Nobody says anything about assume my gender, right? Like, no, I, I've never encountered anybody 
who, if they were in, you know, completely like non-maliciously, accidentally misgendered, what I'm normally, what I've, what I've, the only thing I've ever seen happen is people to say, hey, just want to let you know, um, those are not my pronouns. Or, hey, just want to let you know, that's not my gender. Like, that's the only that's thing the- that I have ever seen happen. So I think, I think a lot, I think a lot of this stuff is not really driven by people who are either competent to have these conversations or people who are acting in good faith. Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen any actual, like, confrontation, like, what these people imagine is going on. Not, not in my entire life. All right, B, you can go ahead. Uh, You can unmute yourself by tapping the little, oh, there you go, there you go. Oh, oh, it's Bellarmo, what's up? How you doing, bro? Good, good. You sound really far away, though, like, you're, you sound like Meek Mill, like, shouting across the studio into the microphone. Uh, All right. Much better. All right, yeah, I had to turn off Bluetooth. Um, yeah, so uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up. Uh, one thing you were actually mentioning just now, Q, is uh, there's there's a lack of sense of scale when it comes to a lot of like uh, you know the the woke stuff and the culture war stuff, right? So everything is just as bad as everything else, right? Uh, like if um, like if Dave Weigel retweets uh, a sexist joke. You know, that's yeah. the, the most dangerous thing that could have ever happened to women, right? Like, he single-handedly repealed uh, Roe v. Wade uh, <laughs> as we speak, right? Yeah, he, uh, yeah he, he struck down Title IX, you know, all that shit. Yeah, right? And uh, so, so that's one of the problems, right? Like everyone's, like, equally outraged at anything that can go wrong. Um, and, with like, in social media, you know, that just gets, like, multiplied, right? So, uh, and the other problem is there's a lack of uh, a sense of strategy. Right, and that ties into the first. Right, like if you're just gonna yell about everything that happens, uh, like it's the worst thing that ever happened. Like, what is your long-term? Sh- like, how are you actually going to uh, achieve your goals doing that? Yeah. Right, because you know may- maybe yelling is the way to do it. Right, but it's just because like a lot of people like they see something wrong, and they think I have to correct it. Right, and that correcting it because I'm gonna correct it to the right thing, then that's the right thing to do. But like, you know, life's a little bit more complicated. Um, and the example I use is, like, uh, imagine you hear about um, an instance of uh, domestic abuse, right? So you know what's wrong, and you know what the right thing is, but is running to the person and yelling at them or, um, you know, yelling at their neighbors or whatever going to help, right? It may be, but it could just as easily make the situation a lot worse. So y- you have to be careful and how you approach it, just because you know um, something is wrong and needs to be fixed, doesn't mean anything you do is good. Uh, and I think that's what's lacking. You know, like people, like their hearts are in the right place, but you know, you you have to you have to strategize a little bit, right? Uh, even outrage, like outrage is useful, but if um, in measured doses. Yeah, in measured doses, exactly. Right, you have a limited amount of social capital you can spend on outrage, right? And so you have to think, am I actually going to get a result out of this? Or should I just sit this one out, right? So I, th- those, uh, I feel like those are the two things that kind of make it, like even when you see like, oh yeah, this is a righteous cause, but you know, you need to, you need to have the right sense of skill uh, and you need to have a strategy about it. You can't just, you know, you can't just always yell at the top of your lungs every time you see something wrong. I think that's a great distillation of kind of like what's wrong 
with uh, online, right? <laughs> Particularly uh, uh, the kind of uh, liberal idpol identity obsessed, um, uh, who's the uh, main character of the day um, left on online, right? Um, I think uh, we've been kind of, um, in, we, we've, we've been encouraged to become addicted to the cheap catharsis that comes with piling on someone who's done the wrong thing or said a shitty thing, right? And it's not to say that whatever this hypothetical person did was good, because usually oftentimes it's, it's shitty, right? It's, it's terrible. It's something you would never say yourself or, or never want to hear said about someone you care about. We but are all Sui Park now. <laughs> yeah but yeah I mean, but be speaking to your your yeah uh, your sense of, of urgency it's it, yeah we we um are so kind of conditioned at least people online but also it's bleeding into the physical world as well right it's like this notion that like uh we have to be on all the time and ever vigilant to the people for the people who come up to do violence right uh not not the physical violence not the uh you know uh system level institutional violence but the interpersonal violence um and to you know demand quote unquote accountability whatever the fuck that means online um but we never stop to ask or we rarely stop to ask ourselves like uh is this a proportional response given everything that's going on currently is this a good use of my time for this day <laughs> is this uh, where my efforts and my abilities are, are best suited for the longer struggle uh that will actually lead to our collective liberation and i think most importantly is this something that needs to happen or is this for my own catharsis? Because I get to feel good about being on the right side uh, and on the opposite side of someone who said the bad thing. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, it's, it's even a little bit worse than that. And this like, it can be counterproductive because um, you know, it's one thing if someone's, let's say like deliberately uh, misgendering folks, but let's say someone just slips up and says the wrong word or doesn't know. Um, like scolding them might not be that productive because they're going to have like leftists yelling at them, telling them that they're a bad person for saying the wrong thing. And then on the other hand, they're going to have right wingers being like, oh, if you want to say that, come over here. Like, well, we got your back. Right. And I, I don't think we necessarily want to, um, to be on people's bad side for no reason. Um, I'll give an I'll give another example of this. And and Bill Lorma, by the way, uh, uh, hit me up afterwards because I have updates for you. But um, you know, God, I'm so going to get canceled for this shit. Um, so uh, some of you all might have heard about uh, uh, some details about the history of Representative Lauren Bulbear that leaked into the mainstream. God, I shouldn't have used that word either. Um, so uh, apparently Lauren Bulbear, uh, according to this, uh, investigation, I was going to, I forget who it was exactly that did the investigation, but, uh, yeah, there, there was, uh, some, some accusations that she had, uh, worked for an escort agency and that she had had not one, but two abortions right now. <sighs> If that's true, and I don't know if it is, if it is, what is the, what, 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 what need does anybody have to comment on that 
at all. And what need does anybody have to have, or what need does anyone have to sort of like outline the parameters of what's acceptable, like what way is acceptable to talk about Lauren Bobert or not? And my thing is like, this is entire, like whatever this leak was or whatever this investigation was, it is entirely politically driven for the purpose of getting Lauren Bobert's base to eat her alive, like to turn on her and eat her alive. It's basically like a, a, a Madison Cawthorn redux. So my, my question is, what, why would anybody who is, who considers themselves a Democrat, considers themselves a leftist or progressive or whatever, why do they need to chime in about any of it? Now, granted, are there going to be uh, slut shamey things? Are there going to be horophobic things? Are there going to be misogynistic things that are said? Yeah, absolutely. My thing is, but what, what of what concern is that to anybody that isn't trying to see her reelected? And frankly, like, because if this is a people, if people are playing this as a team sport, you know, if people are really on team vote blue no matter who, then you, the primary, the primary uh, objective for you is to make sure that you win. And one way that you win in hotly contested elections is to never interrupt your enemy while they're making a mistake. Let the Republicans eat each other alive about that. But when I saw people like hopping on Twitter to start like preemptively scolding others about like, uh, well, looking forward to all the slut shaming and misogynistic comments from quote unquote leftist men, I'm just like, Jesus fucking Christ, like why 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 the need to do this? This doesn't concern you. It doesn't concern anybody that actually has actually said anything. What it really comes down to is like feeling the uh, sort of like the intergroup affinity, which is fine, but what purpose does it serve at all? If, if people really believe that ousting Republicans and stopping the bleeding in the midterm election is the most important thing that we have to, like we have to do in our lifetimes is to stop the Republicans from retaking the house and the Senate. If that's really so important, then maybe don't have a front facing opinion on any of it. Let them sort it out. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, like I know that sounds kind of rambly and whatever, but my, my whole, my whole point of view on that was like, you you can't on the one hand say, and and I'm not talking, I'm not addressing anybody that's like on the speaker panel or any of the callers. I'm talking about people who, when I literally uh, Twitter searched the words "culture war" and their username, they were constantly talking about like the you know the uh, their endless disdain for culture war, and I'm like, you're engaging in it right now. So if it's really that beneath you, why continually engage in it? And really, I think what it boils down to is like they, even though they disdain culture war, they disdain um, people like engaging in politics that they deem to be beneath them. They do it like they all do it in their own way when it's an issue that they feel very strongly about. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop because I think he's getting a, a little long. Um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, I appreciate it. Let's, uh, yeah, be sure to catch up with me as well, because like I said, I got updates for you, but uh, good chatting with you, right. good chatting with you again. My co-hosts are disgusted with me. Owen, what's up? What's up, Q? How you doing? How y'all doing today? I'm great. Doing good. Uh, before that, I just want to remind everybody, because Q, you wait till the end of the show to say this, but if you are signed in on your desktop, Please sign in and make an account. It's free. 
and it helps out Q and everybody else on the rest of the show. Oh, man, you, you, you too good. I appreciate you, bro. I got you. I got you. Okay. So my question, it's a, it's a, it's a thick one because you know me. You know me. I got juicy questions. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to know, knowing that the purpose of America's left wing of capital is to manipulate the role of race in a country that's become a monopoly on multicultural labor exploitation, how can the left take advantage of electoralism when racialized elites are using it as a liberal project to distract from any economic-based collective action? Do you like sit around, do you, do you sit at home like over, over a candlelit table and write these questions in fountain pen? <laughs> like with the big feather and everything? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a writer, so I need to be very exact with my questions. I know y'all ain't got that much time. So anytime I ask somebody a question, uh, I always got to be exact. And also, I love seeing you on RBN earlier today. And you and Nick should definitely do at least like one show together. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, appreciate it. Nick, Nick's a Nick's a super cool dude. Um, very much appreciate him. The rest of uh, RBN, you know, uh, Sabi, uh, CJ, Zoya, and the rest of them crew. Yeah, they're 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 they're, they're dope comrades. I love them to death. Um, a lot of people, and I at times have really like soured on electoralism. I'm I've actually kind of broken through to the other side, and Mikey and Karen like. Please, I'd, I'd love to hear your, your viewpoints on this one too. I think that electoralism is only useful for communists, socialists generally, people on the left broadly. I think it's only useful if you can participate in such a way that you have a, a fighting chance at gaining power. If you don't have a chance in hell, don't fucking do it. It's a waste of energy and a waste of time. So, like, I, I, I'm, I'm not clear why um, socialists are trying to do an entryist project regarding the DSA. I'm not clear why socialists are trying to do an entryist project with the British Labour Party. I'm not sold on the idea of running in provincial and federal elections in Canada, but I do think there is a good opportunity for leftists, socialists, communists to, let's say, start at the city council level. You know, there are any number of positions that you could easily run and win at a local level as long as, you know, you, you, you're known in the neighborhood and people like you and you can get your 25 or 30 or 50 signatures or whatever the amount is, as long as you can get the necessary amount of signatures and, you know, uh, pay for the filing fee at City Hall, then, yeah, go and run for a seat. Um, ask your local party for help and support as, as far as volunteers and time and energy and all that, you probably do stand a good chance of winning. And the thing is, if you can do that and be attentive enough at your job, uh, be like be good enough at networking that you can understand what's important in your community and deliver on that, then you'll have people start to understand that like their idea of communists as being a bunch of like, you know, crazed wackos who want to steal the laptop out of your house, uh, put you to work in the salt mines, and anybody who has the wrong opinion on gender pronouns goes off to a prison camp in Alaska somewhere, and that, that's just that's not what the ideology is about. I think that's probably the best way to do it. Um, and I think that you know people who put their time and energy into 
electoral politics at a higher level where the parties will deliberately cheat to keep us out, it's a waste of time and energy that could be better, better put elsewhere. Mikey, uh, what do you care? What do you care? Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly how I feel about it. Like, I, I still vote in local elections. And, and when it's time for the, you know, the, the big ticket votes, like I just leave it blank. Like I don't I don't vote for president. <laughs> I, uh, and, and oftentimes I don't vote for, uh, you know, a U.S. senator just because it's like there's never a good candidate because it's too high a level of position to let anyone win. Right. And that's that's what it's all about. Right. It's like um, the, like. With, with things like Bernie Sanders, you know, like uh, it took me kind of an embarrassingly long time uh, to realize this. It's like um, the the whole thing about Bernie would have won. It's like, yeah, if you sucked it out of, you know, in, into a historical vacuum, basically. Right. It's not that Bernie would have won. It's that they never would have and never will let even a, you know, uh, a social Democrat win. Right. It just it's too office to allow that to happen. So Bernie never would have won because they never would have let him. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I feel about it. You can actually. When you show up in their community and actually do the work, um, like uh, oh, hey, this person uh, is in elected office and and uh, is not afraid to say those words uh, and to be about it, and also more importantly, they're showing up, right? Um, and uh, kind of going back to our our kind of the original topic of like um, you know what are these culture wars for, <laughs> um, and 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 what 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 needs to be done instead of that? I think like. A lot of people, um, they come into this kind of like trap with good intentions, right? They, they want to genuinely be in solidarity with, with oppressed peoples. Um, and they think like, oh, well, it's just, you know, they, they're instructed to and, and indoctrinated to believe that it's just about language. And yes, some of it is about language. You know, you can, <laughs> there, there, there is such a thing as, as you know, uh, violent language, right? But um a hyper fixation on it, especially at the expense of, of, of class consciousness is the problem. But um, I don't think we move people by, by, you know, overcorrecting, right. And saying that n none of this shit matters <laughs> um, uh, because it does, uh, it just doesn't matter as much as, you know, the amount of time that's being put into it. Um, and I think in much, much in the same way as, as, you know, someone in a low elect local elected office or someone who actually is a community organizer, which many of the people who run as socialists uh, are, you know, they're already in the community organizing. Um, like there's, there's this, this, this uh, phrase, you know, about how like people don't remember what you say, they remember how you made them feel. Um, and so I think, I think this is, this is something we need to remember of, you know, when we're of the revolutionary left, it's like, you can talk about fucking labor theory all you want to a worker. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's not, it's not going to move them half as much um, as, as the way that you make them feel. So like if, if you kind of like, if you show up to their struggle rather than just try to prescribe to them the correct steps, you know, uh, towards building like a Vanguard party, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, they'll start to be much more amenable to the politics that you espouse because you are showing up, right? Because you are in solidarity and in struggle with their struggle, 
Like that's how you move people. And 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 uh, I think I think um, both uh, the the radlib left and and uh, you know the, uh, the the class reductionist left, for lack of a better term, um, I think get too hung up on 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 a. Uh, on conversations <laughs> and and how we talk uh when it's like just fucking like have regular fucking conversations uh in in um actual community with with affected communities and that's that's how you reach people not 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 through any of this like uh internal uh like who has the perfect correct line or like uh what is the correct way to talk about a very hyper specific niche issue <laughs> that that very few people actually uh you know feel like affects their everyday lives uh, what about yourself Karen any thoughts um <clears throat> i'm sorry i've i'm dealing with some um unrelated other issues um Everything okay? Everything okay? No, it's not. That's a separate issue. Um, Some people might know uh, about the issues that I'm talking about, but uh, if you don't, then just be thankful that you don't. Uh, But anyway, I'm sorry, you were talking about Lauren something? No, 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 no. About uh, electoralism, like what, uh, you know, like what? Oh, electoralism. Yeah, what are are the, like, the, the merits of electoralism for the left? Well, I mean, you know, the Leninist line is, that it's used as a way to do outreach, recruiting, et cetera, et cetera. People are more prone to talk about politics. And I think that there's some validity to that. But uh, I think it's also, like, it's tricky, you know. I think that it's um, some of the things that I feel, uh, let's say, let's see. I guess I can talk controversial stuff now. Um, I think some of the stuff that is That's what we're here for. Yeah. Some of the Leninist stuff, like some of the stuff, for example, the way that electoralism is handled or seen, um, how much money gets put into electoralism in the in case of some parties that run candidates. And in other parties, in other case, in other places where they don't run candidates and they just, uh, I don't know, tail the Democrats, for example. Um, I feel like there is a real weird, weird weirdness to that, you know, the way that a lot of MLs look at electoralism they either see it as well uh somehow we're going to get a guy into the bourgeois parliament or whatever or city council and somehow that's going to make a huge difference i mean if anything yeah they might be able to raise some issues and i think that's important but ultimately you know at best you might be able to just raise some issues and and ultimately that person is usually not going to get reelected anyway um but and that's even if you can even get people elected and that's usually maybe at the very very local municipal level which can happen and does happen um, but it's usually not very um, useful to in a, in, on a larger scale. Um, but secondly, then there are other parties that don't even run elect candidates and they just like tail whoever's like, you know, the most liberal. And I don't know, I, 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 I have never like to me that this has never sat well. I understand the energy that's around electoral like season, electro- election season. There is definitely high, more political like um like a hunger, like an appetite for discussions about politics. And, you know, there's debates going on, like literal organized debates and things like that. And sometimes uh, communists might even be invited once in a while, not too often, but sometimes they do get invited. But um, I feel like that should not be the focus. The focus really should be about uh, building worker power and building the power of communities to, you know, like what I find useful is when parties 
when a party goes around or when people in the party can go around and say, hey, we're going to be here after the election, too. It's not about just this election. We fight for you all year round. We want this all year round. You know, we're not just here just to get the vote and then disappear like some parties, the bourgeois parties, you know. So I think that's important. But I think that there are other people who tend to also get really, really caught up in the electoralism, whether it's for their own party or for the Democrat or whatever is the closest like left liberal party. And I feel like that is where when you start taking the bourgeois elections really seriously, to me, uh, I can no longer relate, you know, on that level, because I feel like this is a fucked up system. And as I said, yeah, you might be able to get in on a municipal level or a school board or something. And that's valuable. But um, you're not going to get into a parliament. You're not going to get into a gov. You're not going to become a governor or a premier or going to even the city count, like a Toronto city council or, 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 uh, you know, things like that. I, I really don't see that happening. So maybe I'm just jaded. Ooh, in that same frame of mind, before I leave, I just want to ask, um, how do we deal with the issue of, uh, social manipulation by the black elite specifically and I ask that because I do believe that is one reason why Bernie got less points than he could have because of how he was and he and his campaign were manipulated by not only James Clyburn and Maxine Waters, but also uh, other black elites as well. And I feel like the black elite in this country is something that the left will have to overcome. And I'll leave that. And thank you guys for having me. Yeah, no worries. Owen. Um, I mean, Here's here's okay. One thing that um, one thing I've, I I guess like been able to achieve some degree of peace over is when when the ruling class does ruling class shit, like when uh, Jim Clyburn, uh, when a Jim Clyburn sticks the knife in the back of younger black people on the left. Or when Bakari sellers tap dances on the grave of somebody who dared challenge the establishment. When a Maxine Waters, despite all of that talk about being a strong black woman, stood there and watched Nancy Pelosi take a knee in her fucking Kente cloth. That's, you should just expect that. Like, you should expect your enemies to do things that piss you off. You know what I mean? You should expect that uh, that like uh, black politicians, especially ones that have been around for a very long time, uh, are not just in bed with the establishment, but are themselves the establishment. You should expect that they're going that they're never going to act in your interest. You should expect that a Barack Obama is is going to pop out of the woodwork like Punxsutawney Phil, except five or six times a year to offer chiding and scolding to younger progressives that aren't happy that they didn't get everything they want. Like these are things that they're just going to do. So I, I guess like rather than get upset that they're behaving the way that they've always behaved, find an alternative, you know, like find, find a way to challenge them and not just tweeting angry things at them, but find like find a way to build a political project that will actually hurt them, that they have to pay attention to that hurts their pockets, hurts their interests, et cetera. Like to me, it's it's just like I I don't know I I have very little ability to spend any time upset at the people who I believe to be my political enemies do things that make me upset. Like that's that's what their job is, and my job 
is to find a way to make them upset too. Your comment is dead. What's up, bro? Hey, what's going on? Nice to talk to y'all today. Uh, yeah, this culture war stuff um, and like some of the ways that people go about, uh, you know, like policing language and some of that stuff. Um, it's definitely true, like the way like it gets manipulated by the right for cheap political points and that kind of thing. Uh, but I think it's also interesting to think about like why some people are like drawn to like policing language and, and stuff like that. And like, I think that like, like I've, I've worked at like progressive companies and there's been like, that were like very, very serious about like, <laughs> about stuff like, uh, like what do they call it? implicit bias and like trying to make sure that we use all the right words and that we don't use terms that have a connotation people might not be aware of. And I think that sometimes there's like a certain seriousness to that that I kind of realized after a while, uh, particularly after like talking to some of these same folks that were very like, um, there was a bunch of basically like uh, progressive like white women who kind of became the champions of these kinds of causes. Mm-hmm. And they had to sing a very different tune if like I ever attempted to connect any of our shared progressive kinds of values to things like Oh, well, it's interesting how um, the roles that we pay the least are the ones of the company that is, are mostly women <laughs> or things like that. Uh, you know, they kind of retreat from it. But like, I realize that a lot of this, this stuff, like the one part of why like, it, people take it so seriously is it's more of a, it, it's because of what they don't understand. And it's like the lack of understanding, like a material, historical and class aware analysis I really do believe that a lot of these people genuinely think that the reason that there's like racism and like sexism and these disparities is literally because people like are using the wrong words. It's like a lack of like anything to actually have a concrete historic understanding of how we got to the present. A lot of people seem to really do at some level believe that those words you use are what like created the system because they don't know about like colonialism and you know how capitalism really works i don't know the internet so i really get that sense from like i'm sure y'all can imagine you know you know the types of people i'm talking about <laughs> yeah i think that um I, I i i don't know as as funny as it is sometimes to like you know uh as funny as it is sometimes to like make fun of um progressive white women and their disingenuousness. I actually, I have a li- okay. There's, there's one group that I have a lot of respect for, even if we vehemently disagree on some matters and another group that I generally feel bad for. So the, um, the, the rad femmes as much as because so for, for rad femmes who genuinely believe that, um, gender is a primary and antagonistic contradiction. I don't agree with them, but I have a lot of respect for the fact that they believe it through and through and they're consistent in their, their points of view, right? Like uh, Kieran and I discussed this last week, you know, the, <laughs> the, the rat fans who believe that Eva Braun, even though she might be a Nazi or that might've been a Nazi, she was also oppressed because she's a woman. Now, to a lot of other people that aren't rad femmes, that sounds fucking wild. But at the same time, it's like, but 
you would have to believe that if you genuinely believed in radical feminism. So I, I do have respect for people that can stick to their guns. Just like, you know, I, I have, even though I think uh, Catholicism is, a, is the devil's faith, I do have a lot of respect for just like the staunch Catholics. Um, because we might not disagree, but I am impressed that you will not compromise your principles. And then there's the progressive uh, liberal women who I think, I don't know, in many ways in, intend well, but they've been raised in, uh, they've been raised in like the, the radiation fog of capitalism and imperialism. They are blithely unaware of class distinctions or the fact that oftentimes they happen to be on the side of the ruling class. Like they oftentimes are born into petty bourgeois and actual you know, bourgeois families and believe that by having good intentions and saying nice things to people that that erases their class position and they can, you know, lift, like take side in the struggle just like everybody else. This is sort of like where world boss feminism comes from. But I think that for a lot of them who don't fall on the right side of the class divide and genuinely believe like the Elizabeth Warren supporters I'm thinking about genuinely believe that there is a better world possible. If only they could reform and regulate the things that are bad in society and promote the good, we would be just fine. And the problem is the, 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 the women who run this project, this progressive feminist project, I'm thinking of like your Elizabeth Warrens, but also like your Tina Fey's, Elizabeth Sackler, and to some degree, Angela Davis. I think that like those people are fully aware of what it is that they're doing and they're duping a lot of these young women who I think when, when uh, they find out what side their, their icons, their heroes, and their bosses oftentimes, what side of the class divide they fall on, like some of them get a really, really rude awakening, whether it's somebody like uh, uh, Aurora Perrineau, who, you know, has like a famous actor father and, you know, was a, I mean, I shouldn't say was, I mean, I understand that she still is, but like, you know, just an outspoken, uh, outspoken person for like equality and human rights and so on, and was good friends with Lena Dunham. And then a friend, a male friend of Lena Dunham's was accused of sexually assaulting Rora Perrineau. And what did Lena Dunham do? Threw her under the bus. So it's like some people get a really rude awakening as to whose side a lot of these people are really on. And it, it's, it's got to feel really shitty that the people that you believed were like your comrades in arms, your sisters and so on, that they were actually just using you. Uh, the amount of people that have worked for like nonprofits and NGOs who come out with these stories about, um, you know, women managers and even like executives, like CEOs, et cetera, who exploited their labor, who allowed like poor workplace practices to persist. And sometimes even uh, th that uh, sexual harassment in the workplace was tolerated. Not, not just on you know behalf of men, but you know, people of all genders, like that's got to be really, really hard. Like you're working towards something that you believe is actually going to make a difference in the world. And then the people that you looked up to you fucking betray you. So I have like a lot of compassion 
for them. I think sometimes like the left takes a little bit too much glee in laughing at these people um, and like, you know, taking pleasure in their misfortune. I, I, I honestly think that like, it's gotta be really tough to have spent all that time and energy working to get somebody like Elizabeth Warren elected. And then for her to just like, com- like completely disappear from the national stage at a time when her presence would have is like sorely needed. Like she's just shrunk into nothingness. She doesn't talk about the runaway inflation rates or how like consumers are being squeezed or doesn't uh, talk about the shortcomings of the Biden administration. None of that. Like she's just completely disappeared. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's gotta be really tough and I feel really bad for them sometimes. Yeah, I definitely feel that. I, I agree. I think I'm glad you identified like that kind of like that split and the two different like types of like, you know, progressive there. I definitely saw that. And like my workplace, there was like a, uh, there was a small coterie of like what I call CEO whisperers where like they were helping our, <laughs> our male CEO on his like journey of like becoming a good liberal basically. And there definitely were times where uh, the folks who were not that close to management got like thrown under the bus by them. And I saw some of that disillusionment like you're talking about and yeah. definitely like feel a lot of respect for those sorts of folks. But yeah, I also wanted to like mention like, I think that some of those like mindsets and like, I think of it kind of like, it's just like a vacuum, you know, like when there's a political and ideological vacuum, certain kinds of ways of thinking, more anarchist and rad ways of thinking basically seep in wherever there is a vacuum where like actual like class conscious, like Marxist ideology is not present. Um, And I think that also you get like this weird mix of just those kinds of like radical liberal ways of thinking that are seep in. And it's also very inflected with like Christian moralism and like very evangelical kind of Protestant kind of shit where like the overwhelming concern is always like your eternal salvation. And it's like almost never a practical, like morality is like never a practical matter for like American Protestantism uh, unless there's like, unless you can use it to like your advantage to profit, you know, it's always about like a differentiating yourself from the evil doers. And so I think there's like that, that combination of just kind of like a lack of a uh, real class consciousness, lack of analysis combined with that, like overwhelming drive to differentiate yourself and make sure that people know that you're one of the good people, the people who are going to go to progressive heaven. Um, so I don't know, like I say, like, I know that sounds like kind of like snide or whatnot, but like I'm saying, like, I, I've been in that kind of place myself. And I think it's just kind of natural that people, given the cultural, you know, context would kind of wind up there. And I, I hope that like experiences like you're describing are, you know, able to, I feel like a lot of them are like a radicalizing experience for people to kind of discover the existence of some of these dimensions uh, that they might not have, you know been aware of a little early on the development. I don't know if that makes sense. No, no, it, it, it absolutely does. I just think that, uh, I don't know. There was a time, there was a time, especially like during the uh, the 2020 election, where, I don't know, like being a little bit gleeful or having a little bit of like schadenfreude about the utter letdown that these people are experiencing from the politicians that they fought so hard to support, I think that might have been appropriate when, I mean, they were just really shitty to people on the left. So I don't think there's anything wrong with 
I don't know, just like a little bit of a uh, little bit of get back. But I think we're way past that point now. Like we're, you know, we're we're two years on, and things are getting worse for everybody. So really, it's like, do we do we really just want to be a bunch of uh, I don't know, like smug dickheads and like revel in the misery of people that we believe sabotaged the best chance that you know a, a, a mild leftist has ever had at the American presidency? And uh, I just no, I, I can't. I, I'm not the kind of person that can really even hold a grudge at all to begin with. So the idea that like, I'm going to be, I don't know, somehow like happy or uh, smug about people's misfortune right now. Like it, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So I think now's a, a really good time to start reaching out to people and saying, Hey, listen, like, you know, we might've um, been on opposite sides of an issue before, but I mean, look at what's happening around us. Like, what the fuck do we do? How do we, how do we make this work? You know? Yeah, 100%. Definitely agree. And I think that like, like kind of like Mikey said, you know, if you can ground some of those conversations and like working together on something. Um, yeah, I think also it's like that stuff recedes into the rear view. I, I don't care whether someone was like an Elizabeth Warren supporter. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, granted, I am still going to laugh at that one who tattooed blood and teeth into her skull. I... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, you missed that one. Oh, my God. No. This, this, I got to find this picture. This is a picture of this one uh, supporter um, after Warren dropped out of the race, out of the primary race. And she went to a tattoo shop. And in Gothic font, she had the words blood and teeth. Like, you know, you know, the, like the, you know, like the asymmetrical haircut, like the shaved on one side haircut. Yeah. So on the on the left side that was shaved, she tattooed blood and teeth into her scalp. All right. And because it was in gothic font, if you're more than about three paces away and you saw this lady's tattoo, it looks like it says blood and soil. Like it, it just does. And in that <laughs> shop, in the tattoo shop um, that, you know, that was, uh, she, she got the photo taken. There's this like wildly racist caricature of a Native American like with the war bonnet and the this big nose and it was just it was so bad and i'm like it encapsulates everything about this candidacy so i think it's i think you should stop laughing at all warren supporters except her is what i'm trying to say well there was also well one more (laughs) there was there was another one i think who um they uh tattooed the uh warren uh color code onto their wrist no, um, not realizing, <laughs> <laughs> not realizing that, but that may be a like, bit too reminiscent hex, of the hex code. Yeah, no, yes, the hex code. Yeah, right on the inside of their wrist. Yeah. Oh um, my god! Like an Auschwitz yeah. prisoner. Jesus. Yeah. Oh no. I don't. I. I. I hope. I, I'm charitable enough to hope that they just didn't see the connection there. But how could you not? Honestly. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna make a caveat. It's it's not okay to laugh at that kind of stuff because we all need to, you know, move on and and try to find ways to work together. But there, there's a there's a level of cringe beyond which you're just you're you're fair game. Is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely, there's no coming back from yeah. Yeah. And what I would also add is like I would say equally cringe are the people who, like, months after were still constantly posting, like, snake emojis, like, from the Bernie side. It's just, like, 
this isn't even yeah. politics to you. This is just like it, it's just it, it's so it's just a fucking team sport. It's revanchism. It's just, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. like, calm down. Like, you know, it was like <laughs> we were we were all there. All of us were like angry about the whole thing. Um, you know, like I wasn't invested in Bernie Sanders, but I thought you know better him than a Joe Biden. And so, exactly. like, yeah, the the whole that whole affair was just fucking sorted. But it's over now. Joe Biden mm-hmm. won. So what do we do? Like, do we sit around and just fucking dwell and like draw <laughs> hard political lines uh, down like the people that frankly are not that far from where we are? They just probably need their eyes open. Like, do we just completely write them off, or do we actually try to you know build alongside? So I'm trying to. Yeah, say. I would almost absolutely rather like talk to some of those like unreconstructed or just like in the political wilderness like Elizabeth Warren types. Man, I'm very suspicious of any Bernie bro like sock them who saw what happened and did not learn the lessons because like <laughs> Oh yeah, if you're like if you're Bernie twenty twenty four, I'm sorry, I can't help you. They had yeah. the tools, they had access to the theory, to like they were close to getting it. And if you did it, it's kinda of like you know, I mean I think you're biblical, but like you know, the lukewarm and, you know, and he's going to spit you out of his mouth, you know, be hot or be cold, you know, <laughs> yeah. talk to some of those uh, ice cold <laughs> Elizabeth Warren yeah. types. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, okay. if that's I can so bring, strange. like, I think I can bring all of this home from previous callers as well as YCD, uh, also on a personal story that YCD and I shared back when we were members of TSA, um, but uh, kind of speaking to the previous caller, um, you know, who had mentioned, you know, um, <laughs> uh mentioned Clyburn, right? Um what's Clyburn? Yeah. Um and uh um I mean so basically like they were clinched to win, right? Um and then Barack Obama made maybe like three phone calls and overnight everything just fucking changed. Like that that's 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 how much power was invested in not letting him even win the primary, right? They just flipped one lever. And then it all, like, it was like, oh, he's got a chance? Can't let that happen, right? And th- th- the thing is, there were, there were several dozen more levers they could have pulled to end it at any point, right? And, and to go, like, like YCD just said, to go through all of that and then not learn that lesson, it's just like, yeah, <laughs> you, like, you, the, the, they didn't you, even have like, to pull a big could, lever. It was no, like a no, it was a tiny lever. lever. They yeah, didn't even have to was, hit him with a heart attack gun. No, exactly, and and yeah, j- j- just to not see that that, that that's a rigged system, right? That rigged rigged for any social democrat who's running on on a more progressive platform to fail. Like that's that's a level of of obstinacy and ignorance that that you just not worth spending time trying to move. But um, back in uh, our you know sock dem days when we thought we were communists, uh, like we had so much energy, you know, uh, behind our uh, local electoral slate. Um, that was supported by DSA. AOC fucking came to Hawaii to sign wave <laughs> with one of our best candidates, and we got fucking creamed. And we had, I think, at our peak, about a hundred paper members at least, and uh, I would say thirty to forty highly active members. After those primaries, it dwindled down to about ten to fifteen. Um, that's 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 how demoralized everyone was, and and like like Kieran said about how like if we do any electoral work, even and especially on the local level, you have to be like everyone you are organizing around that. If you do it at all, 
you have to be telling folks and assuring folks like, hey, you know what? We don't have a very big chance. <laughs> like literally the entire system is against us and we cannot put all of our eggs into this one basket. But more than that, we're going to be here and we're going to keep fighting after this election. And we didn't do that because we were we, we, we like riding high uh, on the AOC victory. Like we thought that like we were going to have a similar stunning upset and we just didn't prepare our membership or ourselves uh, for for the licking that we were about to receive. Um, and then everything, you know, uh, everything about like AOC started coming out after that. You know, I mean, we actually see a little money. Story. That's all I gotta say. I, I yeah. wonder. I wonder. <laughs> Here, here's here's another story. Is like I, you know, as soon as she started saying all that bullshit about, uh, you know, like not well, just not taking a solid stand on Palestine. Like we got a little, we a little group together, um, to basically write a letter and then we signed it, um, as our membership to just. You know, we employed her to get a better stance on Palestine. We got her several books on Palestine, several books on Hawaii, made the connection between uh, Palestinian struggle and Hawaiian struggle. And we asked her before she left to get a better line on it. And her next public statement on it, her line got fucking worse. <laughs> and that's that's when I think a lot of us just started kind of like slowly getting off that train. Um, but like, uh, I think like uh, now, like if I ever got back into like, anyone's campaign first of all I'll probably never knock on somebody's door for a political candidate ever again <laughs> um but um i think like it you know i i still vote in local elections but like i think like when i encourage people to you know do or don't it's like it's like ah, you know vote don't vote this candidate's got a really good line uh and they've been doing work in the community you know uh their whole professional lives and the, you know their whole adult life even before this so i know they're not going to just you know turn coat on us and and they also have you know like a very uh, solid kind of like political principles that I don't think they would easily compromise. And it's like, but you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, vote, vote or don't vote. Uh, just like, it's, it's not like the real work is, 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 um, you know, before and after the election. Uh, not, not when you go into that fucking booth and, and make one single decision <laughs> that isn't going to materially change the lives of the vast majority of people. Um, it can have, you know, a net effect and it can also soften the soil for what we need to build. And I think that's that's what makes it still important and not worth completely discounting. But it's not going to lead to liberation. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I, I want to. I also want to make sure that we, uh, you know, before we wrap up tonight, we can get to uh, the other people in the queue. But uh, YCD, appreciate talking to you, bro. You're always welcome. All right, uh, Andrew. Hello. Um, what you got for us, bro? I'm enjoying this conversation a lot, and uh, if you don't mind, I wanted to tell a story from 2016 when I was the vice president of Illinois State University's uh, Bernie Sanders uh, for President student organization, and obviously at that point that had ended, um, but at, while we were active, we were working with the college Democrats at the time very closely. A lot of the members overlapped um, in both organizations, uh, except for leadership, because you couldn't do that. But the um, <clears throat> anyway, the point is that, that we became very close even after the election. And I noticed a big shifting point after Trump won, literally like the day or immediate week following days after Trump won, the entire campus. It wasn't just the political groups. I mean, in my classes, there were mostly white women crying, literally crying tears and saying they didn't feel safe. And there were events on campus that were being highlighted 
um, someone in a parking garage, a woman was apparently accosted and told vulgar things in a threatening manner, like, uh, <laughs> you know, in a Trumpian way. And so as a result of this, there was a basically like a student meeting that was going to be hosted by the Bernie RSO remnants and the college Democrats and the LGBTQ organization. And we had this meeting and this is where I started to first really feel and notice this shift, this culture war being injected in such an important way. So we had this meeting and um, it, it was kind of more led by the, LGBTQ organizations and some of these people that were more activists rather than the college Dems and stuff, we kind of showed up and participated. Um, but there was a circle where we all had to go around in a circle and offer our pronouns. And a lot of people didn't really feel comfortable with just saying I'm a he, hip, myself included. I kind of felt like I was being compelled to speak in a way that didn't make sense to me. But you know, it was just everyone was advised that you have to do this to make these other people comfortable. And it, it kind of felt like a power move to me. And I am kind of ashamed to say that I just went along with it because I thought, well, this is the worst possible time to rock the boat. You know what I mean? Like they're all panicking over Trump. They feel like their lives are in danger. I'm just going to do this. And immediately I was disillusioned there. I mean, there were activities there like coloring books they wanted they to want go color and coloring books to make themselves feel better. And I was supposed to just act like this all made sense. And I'm starting to use the pronouns and it just felt very weird to me. And I knew there were other people in leadership positions in the college Dems and the Bernie or so that didn't really feel comfortable with some of this stuff. But then one of the, I, I don't know exactly who it was, but there was someone from outside of the college Dems and the Bernie R. So came up and said that the culmination of the night was that they decided that they should have a seat in the student Senate for an LGBTQ person. And they wouldn't even necessarily need to be elected. I'm not sure how this would work. They didn't really have a plan. They just demanded a seat. And immediately part of the college Dems started to agree and say, yes, yes, you need a seat on the, it's for your representation. And the other people that had questions about this were kind of too intimidated to even speak up. And it was a real problem because I thought, you know, there's a lot of other people that are minority groups. Why are these people not getting seats and why this, the whole thing didn't make sense. And I started to see the, the people that were amiable towards this start to gain influence in the college Democrats and the Bernie RSO faded away. We didn't endorse Clinton, by the way. We did not. So thank God for that. But afterwards, we fell apart because there was nothing left. And um, they just kind of absorbed into college Dems. And I saw this kind of like take over. The This culture war started to become much more important than it was when Bernie was running in 2015, in my opinion. And I just uh, wanted to hear your reaction to that, what you think about my reaction, what I should have done or you know, does this resonate at all? I will say that I've never been in a situation where I was asked to state my pronouns. If I was in a situation like in a, you know, a meeting or anything of that nature <clears throat> where I was asked to state my pronouns and I did not feel comfortable stating my pronouns, I would say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not comfortable with that. And that's, that's, you know, that's, I, I think that, People also have to be given the amount of respect uh, and uh, be able to establish boundaries that 
Yeah, you know what? For a lot of people, this is something that we want to uh, speak about openly. And some people, uh, you want to make sure that you respect their pronouns, especially if they may present differently than what you assume their their pronouns are. At the same time, I yeah, personally, like I'm not. It's, it's, I'm personally not into it. I don't like the idea of um, being like put on the spot and asked what my pronouns are. I don't. Uh, if you refer to like if you're talking to me personally, like you're speaking to me directly to me, you wouldn't be using my pronouns. You'd just be using my name. And if you're speaking about me when I'm not around, generally people will probably just assume that my pronouns are he him. But I, I also think that it's I don't know. I feel like it, it can also be. Um, I don't know if the word is like embarrassing or like put people on the spot. Cause what I've also seen happen in uh, situations where people are uh, declaring their pronouns and others around them, like let's say if it's a speaker's panel or something like that, uh, people are declaring their pronouns. What I see happen often is that when the pronoun conversation begins, all eyes turn to the trans person in the room. And I don't know how they feel about that, but I do know that when, uh, I'm in if, when I'm in school and we start talking about like, I don't know, civil rights or slavery or something like that. And everybody turns to me, I'm rolling my eyes. Like, oh, fucking hell. Like, just keep your damn eyes to yourself. Let's have a conversation. Let's not worry about how I feel. Like, I'm just here to learn, you know? So yeah, frankly, like I'm not, I'm not really into that. And had it been me, I would have just been like, yeah, no pass. I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed, like I said, that they didn't do that. But at the time, well, I mean, the environment to be, was so it's like, charged. It's, a, it's an awkward situation. Like, I, I don't know that there's any reason to be ashamed or whatever. It's an awkward situation. It's like and a personal pride thing, Most people you know? will, yeah, most people will generally try to alleviate awkward tension by just going along so that it can be over and done with and don't want to make it into a drawn-out affair. Well, I, uh, that's so I don't the know thing, is... It was going to become an argument, and I knew that. And I didn't feel like we didn't come here tonight to argue about this. And the problem yeah. was that I've had these arguments since, obviously, and I don't do that anymore. I just kind of, you know, <laughs> it's I, not I the, honestly the, the situation is, hasn't arrived yeah. again. So I kind of look at it the same way as like when uh, I don't know you 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 meet somebody weird at church or like at like a community event or something like that or I don't know at work and they you know you're not gonna you may not see them again or you're in a situation where you you're not there to talk about a particular political issue and somebody will be like oh well, did you know that blm is funded by george soros and sometimes you want to be like what is your fucking problem and other times you're like you know what i just i don't care enough and i don't really want to get into it right now so just like just move along you know i don't think that you always have to like plant your flag in the ground and declare war i think i think most of the time and in most situations it's okay to just you know move the keep it moving but yeah i i i do think that that's one of those issues that um people haven't done enough uh i don't know what the word is like i don't know if you want to call it analysis but a lot of people haven't really done enough like self-interrogation on the whole matter of in a group setting is it really appropriate to have the pronouns conversation because like i said you're probably not going to be referring to that person by their pronouns if you're speaking directly to them. Right. If it's a group conversation, then yeah, I, I guess so, maybe. And if it comes up, then I'm pretty sure that if someone's pronouns were gotten wrong, they would say like, hey, you know, just so you know, my pronouns are, are not she, her, it's he, him, or whatever. But uh, 
the, the, yeah, the whole like it, it the the whole declaratory part of it very much feels like land acknowledgement to indigenous people. Where it, to me, it feels like empty posturing and yes. like a pre a, a non necessary preamble that in a way stops us from getting to know one another. Where like if I'm in a, if I'm in a room with somebody and we're having a conversation, I'm not focused on remembering what their pronouns are. I'm focused on what it is that they're saying. And frankly, like if somebody corrects me and says, hey, um, just so you know, that's not, those aren't my pronouns. My first instinct is to just, oh, I'm really so sorry about that. What are they? And right. in that correction and in that, uh, you know, that that interaction, I kind of feel like, OK, so we've gotten to know each other a little better. And hey, I'm, I'm glad they were cool about it because I didn't mean any malice by it. I think like here's it's the organic as well. Yeah, I think a lot of this, like the stuff that's designed to like pad our social interactions and prevent us from accidentally injuring one another in a way it's like it's treating us like children you know and it's like we're not we're not kids like we we know that people are going to fuck up we know that people are going to make mistakes and i think you just have to give people the room to make mistakes and build from that because i think that's how that is how you generally build like friendships professional working relationships comradeship and all that i think that trying to like uh like i don't know like engage in like preventative measures to ever, to stop any kind of awkwardness from ever happening is only going to perpetually generate awkwardness is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And resistance. And uh, I think that's a charitable, optimistic view of it. And I tend to be a cynical person in some ways. And like I said, it felt kind of like a power move to me. It kind of felt like, um, like, you know, the script, say the words type of a thing to show, yeah, that, like yeah, you said, yeah. it's a performative act to just reaffirm that we're all safe in the room together kind of thing. And it's like, we're not all safe in the room together. We have different thoughts. Okay. Like that's yeah. human nature, but I would, I would wanna... push back just a little bit on that. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it was like a, a power move or anything. Like, I think, I mean, I, we, we do it at all of our meetings and, and it's like, it's not really an issue at all for anyone. Um, it's a, it's a pretty fairly easy thing to do. And I think, you know, if, I, I think, I think if there were like trans or like non-binary people in the room who are like, let's just not do that. We would just not do it. <laughs> that also would what, be a big deal, right? Um, what if I, a cis still, person has a problem with it? I mean, they would have to explain why. <laughs> um, okay. and I think, yeah. Uh, and, and I, I mean, it's like, uh, um, I think, I think, the coloring book thing was <laughs> much more telling in, in terms of like what this was actually about. Like right. I think that is incredibly uh, um, infantilizing. Oh my God. Um, yes. And, and really speaks to a lack of, of, you know, um, liberal as hell. Uh, yeah. Um, a clear politics. It's like, that's not what is the next thing that we need to do. I think like um, uh, it, it sounded like, you know, some sort of uh, collective healing was in order. Um, but I don't know. I, I think, um, I think uh, if, you know, the real healing comes with being like uh, assessment, like how is everyone doing? How is everyone feeling? Um, what do you think went wrong here on, on, our, on the ground level? What did we do right? And um, what does this new information tell us about the system at work, right? Um, and I think a lot of those questions like weren't addressed. Uh, no, that was not the point PSA of the circles, Right? Yeah, and and I, well, I I think largely even even in nominally uh, socialist circles that are actually social democrat, like I don't think those questions were actually genuinely answered either. It's like uh, there was no post like there was a great postmortem of of the Clinton uh, campaign, which which failed in pretty amazing and spectacular and hilarious ways, right? 
But there was never really um, a concerted postmortem about the Sanders campaign. Um, at least I don't think so in any genuine way. Um, and uh, um, I mean, I would say that's fair from my been, experience. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that like this shit has been tried before. Right. <laughs> like um, Le- Lenin and many others have, have a lot to say about why this was a dead end before it even started. Um, and, and I think um, I think a lot of people for a lot of people, especially who are still invested in a possible like Bernie 2024 campaign, it's just sunk costs and, and stubbornness. Right. To 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 really yeah. go back and analyze like what went wrong. Why did it why was this? not ever going to be a possibility in the first place um and why are we yeah. still trying to funnel people into this fucking cul-de-sac right um yeah they don't want yeah. to think that the fight yeah. is over and they lost that's that's what it would be if they had to analyze it they want to think the fight's continuing in the same manner yeah well i mean the, the thing is though is like you know i was invested in, in bernie sanders as well to a certain degree at, at certain points um and my last efforts in it, like, it was very half-hearted. And I knew, like, there was a very slim chance of him winning, and I wasn't even that invested in it. I was just like, I'm on vacation. I got some friends who are, you know, uh, in the area who, who are part of a party. I'm going to help out. Um, but, like, um, I never viewed it as, like, um, anything other than needing to realign uh, yeah, and, 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 and correct my analysis, right? And to do more study um, and then to recommit. Because, like, a lot of the things that we built here locally around electoral politics, like, we're still dipping back into that well, into those relationships, some of which are, like, ride-or-die relationships, you know, um, who are genuine comrades, who have, uh, some, some of whom haven't even uh, gone completely in, in the kind of, like, uh, into revolutionary politics like we have, who we are still connected with. So I think, I think it's important, I, I think it's important, uh, you know, once that self uh, reckoning comes <laughs> and that self-admission comes is like not not to be like well we failed uh, and that was that was a failed experiment and and uh, now it's over right it's it's no it's just it's just a different stage in something else uh, and to acknowledge that that's just a stage on your political journey and that more can grow out of it just because we made some mistakes or 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 our read of the situation and and the material conditions was wrong doesn't mean it was an abject failure. <laughs> Right, uh, where, where nothing good can come out of it. Yeah, I suppose that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Appreciate uh, you know appreciate the uh, the uh, the comments, and uh, you know interesting conversation. Um, Mikey, we're gonna duke it out over this one a little bit later. Uh, Omar, uh, what's going on? Nice, Thank nice, you. Prof- nice profile picture, by the way. Are you a fan? Oh, of Giannis. Yeah. 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 I, I um, actually had uh, John Bolton on there before, and uh, somebody at the Katie Helper, uh, Colin, said that he was triggered by that. <laughs> so I thought I'd do him a solid and change it to somebody more pleasant. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was good to see you on RBN. Uh, I really look forward to you um, interacting with with nick and and his crew over there uh oh yeah 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 the the R, listen the rbn crew is uh i think like one of the strongest and most principled um you know like left media people uh in the vein of like you know black agenda report where yeah, yeah they just like they cut re- they cut right past the bullshit um and and i i, I like that nick 
basically built it from scratch. Like I have a lot of respect for dude um, that they, you know, they, they started simply like answering questions about socialism, about uh, communist history, et cetera, you know, and then look what they're up to now. Yeah. And he's a really young guy too. I mean, yeah. And plus like we're both, uh, we're both, you know, he's an MMA fighter. I used to be an MMA fighter. So, you know, we got, we got, we got something in common. (laughs) Um, I wanted to chime in on this whole, um, kind of policing of language and culture war stuff. Um, I know that uh, Brianna Joy Gray did a call in earlier in the day about this as well. And um, I, yeah, I wanted to talk about immigration. I mean, it just kind of is something close to my, to my experience. Um, I'm Mexican and large part of that is um, indigenous. And so uh, I, I immigrated here to to the states, uh, undocumented, and the I mean the language around that has really evolved, and I think like issues like that, the type of language that's used really has an impact uh, on people's actions. Sometimes, like you have like the the Minutemen. I don't know if you heard about them, like going to the border. Yeah, I, know about, and, I know about the Minutemen. Yeah. 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 So like the fact that it's kind of uh, evolved from being called illegal aliens to illegal immigrants to undocumented immigrants, I think is really significant. Um, and I think that like, I went through like a decolonization of my mindset and I, some of my relatives are still going through that. And I think that even if it's that hard for people who are kind of at the business end of like U.S. colonialism and white supremacy uh, for us to kind of go through that decolonization, like it's even uh, like, what can we expect from people who haven't, uh, who don't experience that, who don't have those direct experiences or sensitivities. And so like, I think that it's really uh, important to one note, your audience uh, know who you're talking to and try to get to uh, try to understand first if somebody's gettable, if like they can, if you can get them or not. Uh, Cause some people aren't, they're just too far gone, but some people I've talked to, I've been able to get through to them and it was through dialogue. And I know that's not scalable, um, but like one-on-one conversations are pretty important. Um, and I've engaged with people and told them, look, like, uh, you know, there's there's so much revisionist history that you've been taught. I don't say it like that, but I'm just kind of using the shorthand. Um, basically, like all these, I live in a state where almost every other city has a Spanish name. Uh, you know, not not to mention this was native land before that, and I, and the U.S. kind of bullied their way into these lands and and um, kicked out uh, Mexicans from here. And so like I start to build a case about like to counter kind of the, the narratives that they've been given. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Roxanne uh, Dunbar Ortiz. She's a, a yep, Native American. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so she's talked about anti-Mexican sentiment as uh, being uh, very closely connected to anti-Indigenous sentiment. And that, you know, recently that kind of uh, clicked with me so much. I was like, oh, that's that's why like that's why like I 
I understand why people are so anti-Mexican. It has a long history there. And and it's it's a denial of our presence here. And so I think that like just starting to chip away at people's uh, at the premises that they have um, is can make an impact. And so, yeah, like shoving like these terminologies that that they're they're just not going to internalize them. They're not going to like immediately internalize them until you start chipping away at at like the assumptions that are at the foundation of those things, which, you know, they, some people will just think, well, you know, we were, you know, stronger, like white people were stronger and they took it over. And I have an answer for that too. I'm like, how do you, how would you like it if I got some friends of mine and went and kicked the shit out of you, tied you up and took over your house? Like, would you be happy if I told you to shut up and, and don't cry about it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely feel that. I just, um, I don't know. I, I think that uh, there's, well, about this. There's a way to have the conversation about uh, immigration that I think many liberals and progressives are completely, uh, they're 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 not prepared to do it in a constructive way, and in a lot of ways, it recursively flows right back into. The same stuff that Republicans accuse them of, that the far right accuses them of. And one of them is like this idea of open borders. So many of them say things like, well, we're not for open borders. We just want fair immigration. Or many of them say, well, we should accept people from whatever country. Or they talk about like, oh, you know, like uh, we accept so many people from, you know, Ukraine. And why aren't we accepting people (laughs) from Haiti and Russia? Okay, that's that's all well and good, except it still buys into this idea that America is a place where people really, really want to be. And that's absolutely not true. Uh, yeah. Where it comes to, um, where it comes to Mexican people, I mean, the, the border was moved, but they remained where they were. And in the case of other, uh, you know, people who are, are migrating as refugees from Haiti, Nigeria, Guatemala, Honduras, wherever, the reason that they're leaving in droves is because the U.S. Exactly. did political instability on those countries. So it's like, you caused this fucking mess. Yep. It's not safe here anymore. I'm trying to get to where it is safe. You, yeah, you caused this problem. And it's like, I, I think for a lot of li- liberals, if they spent more time uh, invest, like interrogating why they believe that America has a right to overthrow democracies... And overthrow nations, really, in states. Like, regardless of whether you believe it's a democracy, I shouldn't even fall into that trap. But, like, to, like, overthrow other states, cause political turmoil, and then a flood of refugees. Like, by by trying to say, well, we should be more compassionate uh, about our border. Well, like, the horses are out of the barn by that point. The problem is the United States continuously meddling in other countries' affairs that causes the refugee problem to begin with. Because most people don't want to leave home. They want to stay right where yeah. they are. They would like to live in prosperous countries free of U.S.'s military and economic influence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was one of the points I was going to make as well, that with NAFTA, I mean, uh, cheap, like subpar American corn flooded Mexico, and that fucked up all these 
like small farmers and they had to leave. They had to leave their farms and they had to move to the city. And if that didn't work out, they had to come to the States. And so you're fucking with other people. You're destabilizing other people's nations, sometimes imposing us economic austerity uh, through, through loans. Uh, like it's just, there's just so much that the U S has uh, in, 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 influencing that and a lot of people you know will turn around and say well you're just part of the blame america first crowd and i'm like well there's good reason <laughs> there's so much evidence for that yeah 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 so it's just like i i think that uh a lot of times like people believe that by i don't know trying to like whether it's uh you know come up with words that are more inclusive uh or less hurtful um or by like trying to frame the issue in terms of like compassion for the other, you're you're actually reifying you're you're reifying the uh, the imperialist machine that causes these problems in the first place. And I think like this is one of one of the reasons why like I'm not for um, opening the borders any further. I uh, like sure we should abide by the rules that we've agreed to. Like when we say that we accept refugees, we should just accept refugees. Uh, especially like those that we've caused who are climate refugees. But the idea that we should lax our, or like make our, our immigration policies looser to accept more people. I think it's kind of like the same, like I look at that the same way that I do UBI where it's like, you're probably like you're, it sounds good in principle, like to give people a base of money so that they're not starving every month, but that's actually not addressing the root issue. The root issue is, why um why is it that the government should give you money to buy things that you need to live why is it that you are paying for things that you need to live especially when it comes to like food and shelter you sh- if you can't afford shelter there should be shelter provided for you if you can't afford food like i don't even i don't even understand why the fuck we pay for food how is it that like the the, the uh the responsibility of providing the caloric requirements for a nation falls into the hands of private companies that have every incentive to destroy the soil, farm monoculture crops, uh, inject uh, our food with uh, with additives uh, to uh, lard us up with sugar and preservatives and have th- at various points throughout the late 19th and early 20th century tried to push um, food into this uh this, this quote-unquote food pyramid or various food guides that are not nutritious and in many cases are harmful like their incentive is to make money our incentive is just to live why are we paying for this and even if we have to pay for it why is it going to private mega mega multinational mega corporations so i think like yeah it's addressing a it's addressing a, a problem but this is a band-aid like it's it's not really addressing the root of the issue and i think that if you really do have compassion in your heart for migrants and people who are fleeing war and famine and disaster, then you should probably look one step further and figure out how it is the very same people that you vote for helped cause these problems in the first place and hold them to account. Yeah, it's like the Affordable Care Act. Uh, it's just a giveaway to, to insurance companies. Uh. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you see it that way, because I, I feel like I've probably said like 19, 20 things in this conversation uh, and in this this uh, this episode that are going to get me canceled. So I appreciate it. Omar. 
All right. Thanks. Good talking. All right. Appreciate you. Uh, Melanie, what you got for us? And by the way, Kieran and Mikey, y'all can feel free to to chime in whenever. Hi guys. You got it covered. (laughs) You got it covered. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot because I'm trying to wrest you away from what I know is, uh, you're, you're dealing with right now. What's up, Melanie? Oh, not much. Well, first of all, I just wanted to thank all three of you because earlier, way earlier in this conversation, you were speaking about how, you know, engaging with people on social media and you never know who's observing. And as somebody who stumbled upon your Twitter because somebody else I followed retweeted it and started following you, I was like, oh, look, I found myself in radical politics. Twitter. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> So you never know. And that's why I strive and sometimes fail, but I strive not to get into heated debates with liberals who are civilians. Like the big account apps, like fuck them. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll make yeah, fun of them. Yeah, if you're a blue check, you're fair game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, like recently, like a, like two months ago, some uh, liberal woman was kind of like perturbed that I was miffed about the sanctions on Russia. And I was trying to, and I just it said, tried to, you know, calmly explain to them why sanctions are problematic. And, you know, I could have this week been a real asshole and gone back to that conversation and screenshot how the sanctions are only hurting ordinary Russian people that are like, you know, you know what, hopefully I planted a seed and move on and hopefully they're thinking about it now. Yeah. In terms of the culture war stuff, the woke stuff, oh God. Well, let's just say I found an article, was it yesterday, that was all about how don't judge me for watching reality TV shows because they're good for you, actually, and they've been good for the gay community and the queer community and doing something mindless when capitalism tells us always to. And I just lost it. I was like, just don't do this. I was like, watch reality TV. Don't. Whether it's toxic or not, totally different conversation. Of course it's toxic, but I'm like, why is there an article about this? Like, why is this a conversation to be had? Repeat that for me. I I don't think I caught that. The article was essentially, all right, hold on. It was titled, (laughs) Stop Calling Reality TV a Guilty Pleasure. Binge Watching Real Housewives Can Be Good For You, Actually. Oh, my God. In the body of the article. (laughs) I I saw somebody, by the way, I saw somebody tweet that, like, what did they say? Something like, um, you know, men are upset about women consuming true crime podcasts because we can't actually like anything without you getting mad about it. And also that, like, true crime podcasts are anti-cop or anti-copaganda. Oh. And I was like... Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. God no, and it was almighty. all like, oh, you know, patriarchy... Patriarchy... Well, our patriarchy can't ever let it, women ha- read or have anything. I'm like... And I looked up that woman and she writes these like obscene, uh, you know, erotic lit books with like incubuses and stuff. I'm like, ma'am, the Twilight Air has been over for a while. (laughs) You can't. You cannot. But yeah, no, it's just been a bizarre week of that. But nothing embodies. I'm going to be 44 in August. So I lived through the political correctness the first time and I'm like, what is it with liberals and they think as long as you just say the right combination of words yeah. and the right phrases that makes everyone feel better that everything's suddenly going to be okay. I was like, I've lived through this. Like it didn't work then. It's not going to work now. Yeah. I just, I, I, 
one of the reasons it makes me so upset is because you're right. We are recapitulating a bunch of conversations that we had in the mid 1990s. Uh, and even though they might be a, a new slate of issues, it's the same, like it's the same conversation, the same rhetorical strategies, the same mix-ups and blunders. And frankly, like, I don't know. It's, I, I feel like one way to get off the treadmill um, is to just address it head on, you know, and, uh, and, and just be like, look, like, obviously, you know, there are, there's always going to be new paradigms that are difficult for people that uh, didn't grow up at a time where many of these things were seen as like socially acceptable or even visible. It's going to be hard for people to accept. I just don't think that the way to respond to it is either one, um, behave like people whose identities uh, you don't understand are deranged schizoid freaks who are trying to bring down society in a like you know collapsing us into a rubble of degeneracy I, I think that's straight up fascist but then the other part is like you have to give people time to adjust like not everyone is going to get it right away and like i've said before you know when you have the benefit of like a four-year university education plus very likely some grad school that a lot of money went into you don't get to spend all of that time and money learning these things and then coming out of the academy to turn around and get mad at people who haven't spent a day inside of the uh inside a day inside university walls on these matters you, you don't get to get mad at them for not being where it took you four to six to eight years to get to on day one you know what i mean yeah well exactly it takes time like i got deterred from my political radicalization because life happened and a lot of bad life things happened and I'm coming back to it now. And I came into these spaces and I'm like, okay, I've got a lot of books to read. I'm like, and I think about how many I'm going to go insane. I was like, so let me just start with some basics and take it from there. But like, that's, I see a lot of people. And then there's a flip side to this. There's the liberal, you know, uh, white privilege crowd, which God, I won't even get into that one. Cause that's just, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, can, I, I can I can say white privilege all day long, but it's not going to keep my keep my godfather from getting shot by cops. Sorry, like this is that's not going to help. Yeah, <laughs> not gonna I, do anything. I I think here's the other thing too is like I think people who are really invested in this white privilege stuff are, I don't know. I I think that I find white privilege to be a tell for people that have an idea or have like an, an like they've imagined how much power white people get to exercise, and what they want is not for people to be able to um, to share or to live in an equitable society. What they want is an opportunity to have as much power as they believe white people have. Yes. Which, which to me is just like, but I don't want you to have that much power either. You know what I mean? Like I find this, well, okay. For like with, with uh, Kamala Harris's presidential campaign, oh so a lot of people talked about like, well, a black woman should be president or talking about like the importance of having, um, uh, Ketanji Brown, Brown Jackson on the uh, Supreme Court seat and it's just like that's that's all well and good but how is this actually changing this unjust and unfair system because do you think that there's some quality innate to Kamala Harris even though she's shown you exactly who she is throughout her decades of public service that she's not going to change anything substantially she's not interested in overthrowing any kind of system She's simply a trinket, like a trophy for the ruling class. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, this 
This, well, I've, this, I've, yeah, I loved Kamala ever since I lived in Oakland and worked in San Francisco and she was but district attorney or whatever. I was like, oh, oh, God, she, yeah. she and Newsom uh, and I was working with the homeless. Forget it. Like they were the worst. And I was like, oh, and they've, it's gotten worse with London breed. Like, oh, God. Yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. Politics. Yeah. And, and the thing with, with, with Harris that like I just I was sort I was so blown away by. And I, oh God, what was the name of the DA that she replaced? Oh God, I forget his name. Um, but yeah, she 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 ran on a law and order like people don't remember this. She ran on yep. a law and order campaign. This is a and woman who ran... laughed about laughed about jailing the parents of truant kids. Like, yeah. I was like, oh no. But, but even before that, even before that, like she was actually supported by um, she was supported by the Catholics. Because she uh, was against the idea of investigating the local diocese, diocese, uh, that were accused of sexually assaulting young boys. So she, like, she, she ran in a campaign of law and order, but was also, in many ways, like installed by uh, rich benefactors and by the Catholic Church to stop law and order from happening. And the uh, the DA that she replaced was. I'm talking about uh, not prosecuting cases having to do with marijuana possession or consumption. Yep. So, yeah, this idea that she's ever been progressive or ever had, like, the interests of Black people at heart has always been a joke to me. And it it blows me away that people think that, like, you know, this uh, this privileged conversation is going to save us because the career of somebody like Kamala Harris should show you why privilege is useless as a heuristic. Well, it's also an escape. I mean, hey, white people, all you have to do is say you have privilege, and that's it. You just gave them an you just gave me and everybody else an escape hatch. Oh, well, we don't have to do anything else. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. And so it's yeah. like it, there's nothing like say as with culture war. That's the thing about the Bobert stuff. I mean, I just joked, you know, because of course, occupied Democrats ran with it immediately. Like, just retweet if you think Lauren Bobert should be branded with the scarlet letter. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I was like, I was like, because of course, what's not being discussed because everyone's just reacting to the fact they don't like her. I'm like, let's say she was an escort. Let's say she did have two abortions. Why are we having conversation about the material conditions that Terrence Hallinan in the the first place? Sorry, Sorry, I just remember the DA's name. His name was Terrence Hallinan. No, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Go ahead. That's all right. (laughs) Yeah, no, the San Francisco era was so long ago for me. I'm like, the only names I remember are Newsom and Harris because, oh, yeah, I had a particular. Because when they started running for Senate and governor, I was like, oh, God, this is going to be an absolute disaster. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I got that. Well, no, Melly, uh, sorry, I want to pick off something yeah. you said about um, it gives uh, the privileged discourse and and um, I think the cult engaging being being a troop in the culture wars uh, more broadly it gives people an out, right? People, yeah. uh, people with with uh, class privilege, which I think is oh, the, the one of the few important like uh, privileges that actually matter, right? Um, it gives you an out because um, what is the best thing I can do? Well, it's to shut up and decenter yourself, right? And in many cases, that is actually important, right? Especially if you don't know shit uh, about anything and you insert yourself into spaces and, and uh, into uh, movements that you have no place in and no frame of reference for, right? But um, I think without without having any kind of caveats to that how that's just the very very beginning of of the work that one needs to do 
um, and then you need to take action and you need mm -hmm. to act in genuine solidarity, you're nobody is given those next steps, right? It's just like, no, just take another fucking Robin D'Angelo <laughs> $10,000 anti-racism course. No, it's buy these books, you know, for your children and for yourself and for your racist uncle. Um, and win these arguments, own people online. Like that's the extent of the work for you. Uh, find some, uh, a single particular business or brand or influencer who's doing something shitty and then attack them because that is how we get to liberation. If enough of us just keep doing that, that will lead to our collective liberation. And that's obviously such a ridiculous theory of change, right? But well, again, it gives people this very, very short-term catharsis. And, mm -hmm. and eventually you do become addicted to that next hit. Who do we get to cancel today? Who's going to give me that rush of adrenaline that makes me mad today? Um, but also, I think it even in the ways that it bleeds into organizing spaces and into uh, movement building spaces, like, gosh, there are there are people who I've met who, God bless them, they'll be like, you know, like not wanting to do the work because they feel like that would be centering themselves. And it's like, <laughs> you have a set of skills that we need right now. Uh, and we need to center them. Um, but it's like, yeah, it's it's it becomes very much a performance, right? It's like I'm decentering myself. Look at me, guys. I'm decentering myself, guys. Guys, look at look at how much I'm decentering myself, guys. <laughs> like, and, and completely failing to see the irony in that performance, right? <laughs> Yes, well, it's also an aesthetic, it's the schizo-American aesthetic politics, whether it's, you know, hey, People's Party, we're, Jimmy Dore is thinking about running for president, I'm like, isn't People's Party only registered on the ballot in six states? How the hell are you even going to do that, number one? Or, <laughs> even bleeding into some communist spaces and losing their minds, seeing a photo of Chris Smalls at that Time Magazine event with Zendaya, and I was like, man. Oh my god. You know what? If you think everything's going to get co-opted and nothing can change, then why uh, are Let you... Let the man take a picture with Zendaya. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, I, I, real. I, I, oh, my God. Well, no, my, Mikey had a great tweet, and I replied, like, I'm sorry, if you don't think people can participate in their own liberation, why are you flying the hammer and sickle? Like, yeah. why are you... <laughs> that, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Like, why would you do that? If you don't believe, like, it, that some kind of revolutionary politics is possible and you don't believe in people, well, what are we doing here? Yeah. What's funny is like, I, I, so I muted that tweet because I was getting so much just bullshit from the left and uh, the liberal right wing just because I quote tweeted being like, uh, for those of you who, like, I may not have worded it well enough, it's like, hammer and sickle in, in uh, like, uh, display name. I should have added display name because, like, people didn't seem, like, so many, like, shitty, like, Ukrainian flag liberals were retweeting it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not for you. I yeah, no, I. And fuck you I, if, 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 if you're retweeting this because you hate communism. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that, that's, that's the thing is people spend so much time preoccupied with the personalities as opposed mm -hmm. to the principles and just it's like, oh, well, even when somebody they dislike says something that's correct, like they can't admit it. That's one of my favorite things on Twitter is when people throw a whole bunch of terminology to basically say, I disagree with pers this person because I don't like them. I'm like, just say you don't <laughs> like them. And that's why you disagree exactly. with them. Like, yeah, why are you throwing yeah. gaslighting and colonizing? Like, just stop. Like, you just don't like this person. Just just say that. <laughs> it's so easy. Yeah. No, totally. And yeah, and, and I think like, you know, I mean, th there are legitimate reasons to be concerned about, you know, uh, the, you know, 
liberal establishment and the ruling class attempts to co-opt people like Chris Smalls, right? Those, those are genuine, legitimate, valid concerns. But yes. I feel like we need to be fucking, like you always say, just be fucking normal, right? But also just like, don't be so humorless and cynical that the moment something gives you pause, you feel like a need to voice like, oh, this is already, he's fucking, he's bought out, you know? Like, it's just like, it's like what, why don't, why horses, don't you... like, take a breath. Like, also, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm what, like, how like, about let him yeah. do something that betrays the what he's been exactly. doing for the last two years first before assuming that's inevitable. Exactly. And yeah, and and, and like down thread, I I, I caveat it like like when shit like this happens and and it makes you concerned, like maybe before commenting about particularly like uh you know the um your perceived feelings about a a single individual turn that criticism inward and ask yourself how am i vulnerable to co-optation right uh and also secondly most importantly am i even engaged in any kind of revolutionary work that is that would even rise to the occasion of being worthy of co-optation because if not shut the fuck up and do the work (laughs) right yeah, no, revolutionary work is in short supply where I live. I'm like, oh my god, I live in the most neoliberal slash Trump slash veteran area. I'm like, uh, trying to find a local org has been like, oh god, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping I could find something. But yeah, no, reading, reading brain days first <laughs> while looking for an org. But yeah, anyway, that's it for me. The last caller have their time. Thank you. Thanks so much, Melanie. Good chatting with you. You too. All right, and James, James, what you got for us, fam? Uh, hey, uh, hey, you guys. Um, I was just wondering, like, um, I was wondering, like, what y'all think that, like, the result of, like, um, like all these, like, school shootings and, like, uh, or mass shootings, and, um, like, that, like, the result of those, and, like. Um, that combined with like uh, the kind of more uh, like the political, like the the stance from the politicians of you know wanting to urge more gun control and uh, like the general public too. Like, what do y'all think the result of all that's gonna be like in the next few years? And like, also like, what do, what do y'all what do y'all think the stance of like um, American leftist needs to be um, regarding those issues. That's, that's uh, nothing. Um, I whatever whatever bill would have enough juice to pass the U.S. Senate would be completely toothless. And uh, I mean, based on what I've, I've seen, the 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 framework that's being hammered out right now, um, the fact that you know they've they've taken off the table. Um, outlying any kind of weapon, like they, they're not talking about eliminating weapons, they're not talking about magazine capacity, they're not talking about um, background checks, like they're not talking about uh, or, or like the framework that they're putting together doesn't seem to include anything meaningful from what I can understand. So I, I don't know, like I, I I've been pessimistic ever since the uh, the Sandy Hook shooting that anything was going to be accomplished as far as gun control in the US and i i don't think that living in a country where 
your federal and state governments to a great extent have no ability to provide anything of like support assistance uh they they don't have any capacity or that's not the right word they have the capacity but refuse to exercise the ability to provide for their own people but can easily um provide subsidies for arms manufacturers whether they're produced domestically or whether they're being shipped to uh ukrainian fighters overseas or anybody else that wants to buy from the united states like the u.s at this point is pretty much just an arms dealer uh with a a massive supply of exploitable and surplus labor i i don't know that it's like it, it does not function as a healthy state if if it ever did, I don't think it, it does anymore. It, it, so, as for like what is uh, possible with these gun control bills, I'm way past the point where I'm way past the point where I think that a gun control bill addresses any of the most pressing problems right now, because what you're talking about is restricting the ability of. I mean, what what people want is restricting the ability of people to buy certain kinds of weapons. Um, but to me, that's closing the barn door long after the horse has left and registered itself for the Kentucky Derby. Because there are more guns in America, right? Like there are more guns in circulation in America than there are people. They're, they're approaching somewhere to the order of like half a billion guns in the U.S. So I, I just I don't see how restricting people from owning firearms at this point solves the problem. When now I think it's incumbent on people, especially like marginalized people, especially working class people. I think that they should get very comfortable with firearms, how to use them uh, and get their own. And I'm not saying that like everybody should be stocking up on weapons because owning weapons, you know, owning firearms is not for everybody, but I, I, I just don't agree with the idea of enacting sweeping gun control legislation at this point and leaving all of the 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 gun loving fascists being the ones that are the most heavily armed i just I, I don't like that idea i think that at this point if you have that many guns in circulation in the us the people should like it's, it's it's the wrong people who own them like people who can be responsible gun owners and uh people who i think um know that it may come down to having to defend themselves and defend others uh, against people who wish to do them harm i i think that the responsible thing to do at this point is to get comfortable with it because guns, like it or not, are a part of American life. And it seems that whether it's police, whether it's the military, whether it's uh, doomsday preppers, whether it's far-right nationalists, or whether it's people that, you know, decide to conduct a mass shooting uh, out of a sense of obligation to the white race, or out of the fact that they were rejected by women, or just for no good reason whatsoever, i.e. I. The, uh, the Las Vegas shooter. I, I think that because you have all of the wrong people that own weapons, um, and you have a lot of people that are afraid to even go near one, you are going to freeze the U.S. within a dynamic where the people that wish to do harm have the ability to do harm, and those who wish to protect others from harm don't have any way of, I guess, like, organizing um, community defense. 
So those are my thoughts on that. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah, I agree with all that. That's, that's pretty, yeah, that's I mean, pretty much. There, pretty... Yeah. There's like, um, uh, the, let's see the, the, uh, what do they call it? The red flag provision. I'm pretty sure it did. Uh, if I recall correctly, it did pass in the house. So like if people around you believe that you might be a threat to yourself or a threat to others, um, that, uh, that it would be possible for police to uh, to take guns out of your hands. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, you know, stopping people from owning guns that could pose a threat to others, like that's to me like common sense. And the idea of uh, taking weapons from people that pose a significant threat to others, sure, yeah. But then the issue is who enforces that? So who's responsible for um, stopping? weapons being sold to people that shouldn't have them and who's responsible for taking weapons away from people that shouldn't have them. And in both cases, you're talking about giving the police more power or at least putting something else within their purview that had you, I don't know, addressed this issue decades earlier, wouldn't have to be addressed by the police at all. So yeah, it's tough. I'm just, I don't know. I'm really of two minds about it. Like I do think that there are several things that you can do to make, I don't know, gun ownership safer. Um, there are stringent measures you, that uh, the state can take to make sure that guns don't get into the hands of the wrong people. And I think there are some stringent measures that the state can take to make sure that people who own guns um, have to uh, keep and use them safely. Like, I've got no problem with that whatsoever. To me, it's the same as, like, putting seat belts in your car and, you know, having an anti-theft device and slow tires. Like, that's that's no problem whatsoever. I think though, like many liberals are sort of stuck on the, they're, they're stuck on issues that have long since passed their relevance. And now you simply have to deal with living in a nation where there are more guns than people and that's not going to change. How do, how do you cope with that? And frankly, I think, I think it's just, it's the responsibility of people who do believe in community safety to get familiar with firearms and know how to use them. Cause frankly like are you going to depend on police to protect you are you going to depend on your government to protect you because both have shown they do not give a fuck about you and in many cases wish to do you harm totally yeah thanks man yeah i appreciate appreciate your viewpoint q no worries no Uh, worries all right uh so kieran mikey Mikey, thank you again for dropping by uh thank you yeah, I, I don't care. I'm going to call you right after this is done. I know what you're going through. Oh, God. Um, All right. I'm going to call yeah. you right after. But, uh, you know, to all Thanks our listeners, lot. thank you so much for dropping by tonight. Um, if you like us, please support us. Uh, a couple things that you can do to do that is if you are listening right now from uh, a web browser, uh, please sign up for an account for Colin. does not cost you anything. Uh, so that when you listen to our shows and you're signed in, it actually does help us as far as our metrics. Uh, and if you would like to support us at patreon.com forward slash the culture dot TV, your help is much appreciated and you keep us coming back every week. Take care. Good night. And I'll see you soon.